Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday over the next year, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church. So here we are with a new episode of the Your Story Matters podcast, and I am joined by Jake Sexton. Um, Jake's one of my really good friends. Uh, Jake and I have shared a lot about faith and life, ups and downs, pain, joy, all those things. Jake, you and I joke all the time that like our mothers are the same person. <laughs> and so oftentimes <laughs> I feel like Jake's mom is my mom. Um, <laughs> but Jake has a really unique story uh, with a lot of real life things in it. And uh, on the other side of that, Jake's seen God do incredible things through his story. And so I'm really excited to have you on um, to be our first non videoed episode. Just pumped to have you and to have you share your story and a little bit later for Danielle to, to jump in as well. And so thank you for being here. Thanks for giving us your time. Thanks for choosing vulnerability. No matter how comfortable you are with your story, it's hard. And, you know, one thing we love about this podcast so far is people have really been honoring that. And um, it's always hard to go first and to be one of the first ones. And so thanks for doing that. Um, I know I didn't really fully give you a choice <laughs> to do that, um, but you know it, you are a leader, and leaders go first, and that's what you're you're doing today. So thank you. And so starting off, same question we ask everybody, um, which is not a small question, um, and really is one that we have to wrestle with: is uh, tell me about your childhood. What was it like? Where did you grow up? Um, I know you've lived in Maryland for a long time, but that hasn't always been a part of your story. And so take us back to the early days of Jake's life. Yeah. Um, well, first, just thanks for having me. Uh, this is pretty cool. I've really enjoyed this sermon series uh, to see the vulnerability and the steps uh, that everybody's been taking. And uh, yeah, vulnerability is hard, man. It's uh, it's really scary. Um, but uh, just glad to have a, a safe place to do it um, and share. So as a kid growing up, my childhood uh, was pretty good, man. I, um, I was very loved. Big family. You know, I mean, my immediate family was you know, me, my mom, my brother, and my dad, but aunts and uncles and cousins and uh, in the area um, and those that weren't in the area, but regardless of whether they're in the area or not, we were always doing something together, finding ways to get together for holidays. We were always doing some cookouts, whatever it was. I was always provided for, I never went without. Just remember being very loved. Did you guys go to church? Was faith part of your life? Like, I know there's a lot of people who, um, especially who, who are in their mid-30s like we are, who'll say, oh yeah, I believed in God but like maybe they didn't go to church. So what was faith like for you, church like for you? What was that? Did you have any of that in your life as you were younger and growing up? Well, actually I was, it was in Montgomery County, but I was close to Frederick, (laughs) Boyd's, whatever, you know, it's a small town. You forget about it. We always say you blink and you're through it. So, um, but had family Frederick and, and I was somewhat familiar with it. And, um, but yeah, um, faith, um, growing up was, for me, uh, I just remember um, in Boyd's there was a, I think United Methodist, um, no, 
Presbyterian. That's what it was. Reverend Edney was his name. And um, but I was so young, man. I remember just like Sunday school. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Um, I was always excited to go because donuts. They <laughs> yeah, had that's donuts. Good. That's good. <laughs> so I loved getting me a donut. So I mean, besides that, though, I mean, we'd go to Sunday school maybe for the holidays. Um, I remember my mom would talk about it from time to time. It wasn't anything that was consistent. So did I really understand faith uh, and what that looked like and saw that being lived out um, the way that I know it now? No. Um, like I said, I think there were some things that I was taught growing up that were kind of derived from the Bible, but kind of their own spin on it and stuff like that. And, and you know, some of it good, and um, but it wasn't anything that was ever really uh, consistent yeah. uh, for me. So did you as you grew up, like the inconsistencies of it, was there a point where it stopped or was it always just something that was just kind of like Christmas, Easter, maybe occasionally? Because um, I also know there's there's a decent amount of people who they start and they're like, when they're little, they're like, we went. And then when they got to like that middle school, high school age, it kind of drops off. Mm-hmm. Was that the same experience for you? Or, or were you kind of just like, we went every once in a while, but it's always been a part of, of kind of your life? Uh, no, so the kind of the I would middle I'll, I'll we'll say middle school again. I can't quite remember, but I would say probably around that time um, there wasn't much of it anymore. Yeah. Um, I think my mom tried. I don't really ever remember my dad really attending with us, yeah. but eventually it fell off. Yeah. yeah, probably around middle school and stuff like that. And yeah. and then my mom would sprinkle it in every now and then. And you know, I think really trying to make an effort. But at that point, I'd grown you know started growing up and. Yeah developing an attitude and my own thought process and beliefs. And I was like, I'm not doing that stuff. So believed in God though. I will say that I I did believe in God and, you know, like I said, didn't have a relationship, but yeah, it stopped eventually. One of the things that you and I have talked about is things started to change a lot for you kind of late middle school, early high school. What began to change? How did that reflect in how you were living your life and, and your relationships and all that stuff? I guess I would say as a, at a young age, um, knowing now, looking back, loving family and all that stuff. But again, there was dysfunction there, you know, you know, I experienced some rejection in there and, you know, mom and dad fighting a lot, fighting hard, but, you know, with words, you know, abusive, emotional abuse, stuff like that. And always threatened to get divorced and drinking. Um, you know, as a kid, you just kind of take that to heart. Between my parents, there's always a there was always a break in there somehow, and uh, so I, I I remember starting to kind of take that as like, you know, as a kid you don't understand you kind of take it as your fault, sure. yeah. you know. And I remember being asked like, do you want us to get divorced and stuff like that? And I'm like, yeah. oh, no, <laughs> like yeah, crying I mean, and stuff. Yep, yeah. Like what uh, kid's like, gonna be like, yes? I don't, you know. And and I just I just remember, um, you know, times where my my they would fight so much, my mom would uh, put us in the car and leave, yeah. whether. It was usually just for a couple hours or, I mean, I think even one time it was it was for a night uh, and come back. I remember my dad just honestly just really wanted nothing to do with me. I just don't, I mean, I, I understand now. I think he was hurt. Um, but as a as a kid at five, six, seven years old, I don't understand that. Yeah. I'm just happy to see my dad. Yep. Uh, so, you know, a lot of that fighting and all that stuff, you know, as a kid, I took that stuff to heart. Well, okay, so you talk about, like, with your father. And, and one of the things that we know with men is... Like, we, we look so much for approval in our dads. And when it's not there, and specifically, it's like, it, it's got to be an action. You know, you, you're a new father. Like, I, I've got some kids, and I realize, like, not not giving approval is not giving approval, mm-hmm. right? And with my girls, I have, to, I have to make an effort to do it. And so as kids, like, we long for that in our fathers. And so even if they don't do anything wrong, 
it still feels like disapproval, mm-hmm. right? And so you said you start to experience that at a young age, um, but I know that that stuck with you for a long time. So how did that continue to play out as you got older? At one point, did your parents divorce and move on? And like, how did that feel in relation to like this approval and, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to be loved, wanting to be seen, wanting to be cared for? Yeah. So I remember getting into like having to leaving elementary school and starting middle school, right? And um, like you said, I think you you want that approval, and again, maybe it's not on purpose. The fact that, uh, but the fact that they're not maybe not intentional about it, you start to feel that. So you start to look for ways to get their approval. Yeah. You know, for me, one of those things was sports. I loved playing sports. But you know, and, and moving going into middle school, I remember um, beginning to experience just a lot of fear and like social anxiety of of rejection, of being rejected. Um, and I, I began to learn at that, even at a young age, of how to create my own world, you know, um, a world that uh, is full of apathy, not much feelings, but just a safe place that Jake can be, you know, where he can't get hurt. Yeah. And I began to figure out what that looked like, and I began to build my identity around that all throughout middle school and stuff like that, and uh, would rarely step out of my shell. I started to see even just a little bit of how my attitude would change, grades started to slip, things like that. Um, probably starting to be friends with some people that don't need to be friends with. And uh, in the summer of before going into ninth grade was was the first time I was introduced to drugs. And uh, it was marijuana. And um, I remember smoking it. And I remember immediately wanting to do it again the next day. Wow. You know, um, it was like, where's that at again? Yeah. So I believe that kind of just added to, to all that. You know, my parents, they didn't... Um, they kept it together throughout my, my life, man, until 21. They didn't get divorced until I was 21. Okay. I think they I think they tried to keep it together until we're out of school. Sure. Um, and honestly, I'm kind of thankful for that. It was hard even them being divorced at 21. Yeah. Uh, so to imagine trying to experience that as a kid would have probably been even more difficult. High school hits, introduced to drugs, parents still fighting, you know, that the chaos of that, the dysfunction of that, which, you know, again, one, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is because um, there's so many people who have parents who love them, but brought dysfunction. And we tried to figure out how to solve that problem. And part of the the freeing nature of this podcast and sharing stories is realizing, oh crap, like I experienced something that other people do with their, their parents, but also like I responded to it in a very specific way that led to very real consequences kind of down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's hard to navigate like what's good and bad and right and wrong and all that stuff. The main thing is like pain exists. We experience it and we respond to it. Um, but I, I know that for you, like getting introduced to drugs in late middle school, early high school was kind of just the beginning of what you experienced, which was like kind of a, a few years, you know, a season, a season, it lasted longer in the season of just a lot of pain and a lot of destruction. Yeah. Um, do you mind sharing with us like how it got from there to honestly, at some point you end up in recovery. So mm-hmm. like, how, how does that all happen? Yeah. Lots of pain. Um, lots of, like you said, a lot of, a lot of bad decisions, a lot of, um, you know, my choices of how I, how I experienced pain and how I was going to respond to that. And for me, um, just full on, I think it gets to that way. At least the consequences get that severe because I, I thought drugs were the answer especially in the beginning, you know, you don't quite understand the consequences of it. You've been told about them at a young age and stuff like that. But, you know, when you're that age, you ain't nobody telling you anymore what to do. You you want to do what you want to do. And for a while, you know, throughout ninth grade, it, it just slowly progressed. I mean, it was a, a weekend thing. And then it became 
a weekend in sometimes during the week thing and I just remember going to school just like burnt out from the weekends from smoking weed and stuff and and uh um, again just another way to hide and stuff like that and you know drinking was dabbled in there and stuff like that but eventually uh I was introduced to um painkillers uh 10th grade perk set I bought it from a friend in high school in the bathroom and I took it and I went to uh class and I was sitting there sitting there going through class and before you know it it hit me and I was like holy crap this is really good you know, once I started to entertain opioids, man, it was um, uh, it was it was setting up for a recipe uh, for me. So I was playing high school football. At this point, I had uh, transferred from Damascus High School to Clarksburg. This was the beginning of my running. <laughs> uh, but we always say, wherever you go, there you are. So I was like, well, I'll change schools. I'm trying to do things a little bit different, but uh, same attitude, same belief system, and. Uh, eventually was in two a days of, of football and tore my ACL, wow. uh, my left knee. Uh, this, was, this was 2006, and uh, it was devastating for me. I just remember crying, um, hearing the news, and uh, honestly, it just felt like one of the first trials or um, hardships that I was getting ready to face in my yeah. life um, that I can remember at a, you know, at a, not a mature age, but at a you know, maturing sure. age in high school. I didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. You know, I had no idea how to do with it. I, I just remember my my mindset going into it was, well, I'm going to get perks. And then that was all she wrote. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, do it every day and I need it and want it and yeah. all that stuff. And and again, that, that, that progressed really quickly. You say you will never do things and you start to make decisions and you find yourself doing things you say you'd never do. Yeah. That led to being introduced to heroin. In high school? High school. First time I shot dope was uh, 17 years old. Yeah. I remember withdrawing in high school. I didn't even quite understand it at first, you know. I'm like, why do I feel sick? What is this? Yeah. You know, I remember working uh, a lot of tenant job after uh, I was in 12th grade, after high school. I mean, after you know, after school shift till 9 o'clock. And I remember there was times where, you know, I was trying to get the drugs so I wouldn't be sick. And I remember just sitting in the back just... Everybody asks me if I'm all right yeah. and just lying um, because I'm sick, you know, um, and getting out of work and, and things like that. Um, so, you know, quickly I became, you know, throughout those years pretty addicted to uh, to drugs and, and, and specifically opioids. And, and it just led to more and more bad decisions. Did your parents, like, did they have a clue? Did they see what was going on? Your brother, like, what, what was that like with him? Because there's a family involved. You, you said earlier, like, you had this close family. Not asking, like, what role they played in that, because that's, that's not what that is. But asking, like, hey, you've got this close family. You're going through this thing. How did those two things interact? Did they interact at all? Were you just, at that point, you're just like, I'm Jake, and I'm over on this other side. Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Could they tell something was up? you know addiction recovery in your family is it kind of unspoken like what what was the family dynamic like while you're going through all this so I, w I was still intertwined in my family um i didn't really actually sep I, I separated myself but i was still like physically present yeah. so my parents became you know found out pretty quickly i wouldn't say quickly but early by the time i was like 17 18 that i was struggling you know, and I got to a point once that you try to hide it, but once they find out, you admit it, and then you try to use it to your advantage. So then you try to manipulate them with it, you know, that you're a victim and right. you've been through all these things and you need them. And um, so I remember my mom trying to get us help. Um, so I remember, you know, getting prescribed Suboxone for the first time at 17. 
So Suboxone is um, you know, basically a medical maintenance drug uh, that's used to help you get off opioids. And I think it had like just come out. I don't even remember. Um, it was pretty new. So they, they were there and, and they were involved. And my family was uh, an extended family um, because it was just kind of progressing out. And uh, it, it's kind of a, a weird thing. I think people, they want to say stuff because they love you, but also sometimes they may be a little bit afraid to. But that, that reached ahead, though. You know, years down the road, um, family started calling me out, um, uh, helping me out, but calling me out about stuff. And um, they all played a, you know, they all played a pretty big role into it. Um, but I kind of had to go through what I had to go through. Sure. Uh, so yeah, they tried to get me some help along the way. But with my brother, he was in the mess with me. You know, we were, you know, a year and seven months apart, really close. You know, his friends were my friends, my friends were his friends. So, I mean, we were, we were making moves together, doing our thing, trying to, to get our way. An opportunity came up for me once I graduated high school. My aunt and uncle out in Colorado invited me to come live with them when I was like 18, I think. Almost, yeah, 18, almost 19. Now looking back at it, this is me running again, sure. you know, because at this point, I, you know, I still don't really want to change. You know, I basically brought the drugs out there with me. I just found out how to get prescribed them now. So I was on Suboxone at that time. I was on uh, Adderall. I used to lie about having ADHD. I don't have ADHD. I just wanted the drugs. And uh, so they took me in out there. My aunt and uncle and my cousins tried to give me an opportunity. And uh, it, it was almost a year. But eventually, you know, I burnt that bridge. Yeah. Um, I took advantage of that situation and, you know, their kindness and what they were trying to do. And, and I know them talking to them. I've talked to them since then, and I know they wouldn't take it back, and they were happy about that. And that wasn't the last incident with them. Um, they actually extended uh, me more grace again later on. And, uh, but I ended up coming back home, and things got progressively worse, you know, IV use and stuff like that. Faith, no faith, no, not really even community and it's just, so what is it at that point? It's just drug abuse and work? Uh, kind of work. I mean, I couldn't work. I mean, I, I um, so basically chasing the high for me, um, it's work. <laughs> and uh, I, I began to grow tired of it, honestly, but I still needed to be high. I still needed, you know, in my mindset, I still had to be high. And uh, I just remember it getting so bad that remember I told you how we used to have those cookouts and stuff like that and family would come over. I used to lock myself in the room and wouldn't come out until everybody was gone. Wow. I remember my family knocking on the door, you know, wanting to see me, wanting me to come out, just sick and full of shame at what I was becoming, but just kind of was to getting to a point where I didn't have a way out. So then I decided, well, let me go to the methadone clinic. Let me get like a baseline where I can have opiates every day, not necessarily getting high from it, but or at least trying to, you know, you kind of lie about your use to get you know, a lot, a lot of milligrams so you can somewhat, but again, just to have a baseline so I can go get a job and have somewhat of a normal life. And then, you know, what my, my thought process of that was, yeah, work, but as long as I have that baseline, now I can use all the other drugs on top of it. It, it, it was just a really wild up and down of just, just, just really bad trying this thing out for a little bit, that failing, trying this thing out for a little bit, that failing, um, up until the point where, um, you know, the house we grew up in went into foreclosure, and my parents got divorced at that point in 2011. Uh, and we moved down to Georgia, uh, me and my mom and my brother. It's to the point now where some of this stuff is just so blurry for me because sure. I was just so out of it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, my family tells me stories sometimes, and I'm, I just honestly can't remember. Yeah. My brother hated it down there. He hated being away from family. He moved back. We take him to the plane, and uh, I remember the last time I saw him. Yeah. You know, and uh, gave him a hug. Um, 
uh, we gave each other a kiss, you know, on the cheek and told each other we loved each other. I didn't know that would be the last time I saw him. Yeah. So, and I remember us also talking about, uh, <laughs> we're like, wouldn't it be cool if the Ravens won the Super Bowl? Just side note, they did that year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 2012. Um, so uh, we would talk from time to time, and I didn't get to talk to him. He left me a message, and uh, I planned on getting back to him, and, and I didn't. And um, I remember going into work. I was working at a Kroger's in a meat shop, and uh, I just got to work, and then all of a sudden, like 30 minutes after my, after I'm at work, and I was getting these calls from family, and I didn't know why I was getting a call sure, from yeah. family. And uh, I turn around, my mom's standing there. I'm like, what's, what's wrong? And she just says, he's gone. I'm like, he's gone. And uh, I don't really remember much else after that. And not because I don't, you know, because I went and used or anything like that or filled myself with drugs. It was just just an emotional state to just, you know, just check out. We had the funeral, and uh, we came back to Maryland um, to have it. And uh, the funeral was so far in my life. That was one of the hardest days of my life. Sure. Hardest days. Um, I made sure not to use that day. I didn't want to. Yeah. I wanted to honor that day, and um, so I made sure not to use. I remember kind of going into it acting like, uh, you know, like it, it was just it was such a hard day because you're just such a you know you're just it's it's raw emotions of just every kind. It's up and down. You see people you love and. You know, and you're just, I mean, I mean, just how do you handle something like that, you know? Uh, so you're just all over the place. Um, you're crying. You become dehydrated. They kept telling me to make sure I drink water. But I remember the family first getting to go see him. I remember turning that corner. And uh, I've never experienced this before in my life where my body just, yeah. my knees just gave out. Yeah, yeah, it was one of the hardest days of my life, man, yeah. to experience that. And there's a lot there, too, because your journey with Mikey was similar with addiction and, and struggles and pain, you know, and you are that close, you're not twins, but like your life is, mm -hmm. is very similar. And so, you know, the reality is like, you guys are parallel for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so his passing, I'm sure there's a lot of it where you're like, why him, not me? Like it, considering your life had so much of the parallel, mm -hmm. You know, and I, and I know your family so well, and I love your family so much, and I know how hard that hit them. But I also know part of the reality of, of the pain they feel at Mikey's passing is the pain that they thought this could be Jake as well. Mm -hmm. You know, and they, had, they, they had grieving of Mikey while almost, almost pre-grieving what they were afraid would happen to you. Mm -hmm. It was an opportunity to make a change. And not just for me, but everybody yeah. in our family. You can't, you can't go through something like that in life and... And something not change. 100%. This person's too impactful. And it, just in general, even if they weren't, this person was here and now they're not. Yeah. Life's different. Yeah. I begin. To, I, I, I do believe I begin to start to kind of wake up a little bit. Because <laughs> I remember at that time, there's nothing, not much I remembered. And then after that, um, I really do, it's just like stuff kind of started to, you know, I started to kind of wake up a little bit and come out of it. Yeah, I was provided with an opportunity to, to go to rehab um, out in Colorado. Again, my aunt and uncle asked me, hey, is this something that you would consider? And it was a 30-day program out there. And I was like, um, sounds pretty scary. I don't know about that. But I said yes. Like, you've been struggling with addiction for years. Why wasn't 
like an actual place that you went to, why wasn't that on your mind? Like what, what stopped you? Cause really like a lot of people have people in their, their family that are addicted. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I said this to the guys at the mission the other day, they're just the ones who have the guts enough to say, I've got this problem and I need to go here. But most of our dads or most of our you know uncles or whatever, we know somebody in our life who is in, is addicted to something, but they never take the step to go into a place to get rehabilitated, right? They try to quit cold turkey or this program or put this patch on, all that stuff. And so for you personally, like what stopped you years before that from saying, okay, you know, you did the methadone, doesn't work. What stopped you from going, okay, I should go to a place for 30 days? I actually had been in some intensive outpatient, um, which is not like a residential thing. Um, So, you know, there's those options out there. The first time it was because I got arrested in high school for possession. So I was ordered to go yeah. if I didn't want to get expelled. When it's not your choice, it's hard yeah, to do it. So. You're kind of forced to do it. You're 17, you know. Yeah. The second time I just, I volunteered, um, I honestly can't remember what led into that. I don't know. For me, I, I never really put much thought into that. I just It was just never, not much on my radar. Or if it, if it came up, I was avoiding it. It was just not something that uh, I really wanted. And honestly, when it got towards the end, you know, I was looking at the similar fate and almost kind of welcomed it. You know, I was in such a such a dark place, such a such a bad place with what I had become. You know, I was okay if I died. Yeah. That just seemed like the only way out. Never to the point where I ever really thought about doing it. Just straightforward. I never thought about doing it. But uh, you know, her brother overdosing. Um, you know, if that were to have happened to me, I was okay with it. Sure. You know, I was yeah, getting. I was. I was getting to that point. Yeah. So you know, rehab for me was. Um, I don't know, it just never really seemed like a thing. Yeah. Um, and then they brought it up, and I was like, okay, why not? Let's try this. Yeah, so you give it a shot. Gave it a shot, um, detoxed, went through the program, graduated. Just still wasn't ready to get off the drugs, man. It had a hold on me, man. I was I was petrified of what life looked like. How do you function in life? at the, Like, this is where I was at at this point without drugs. Yeah. I, to the point where I'm wondering, how does any... Is, Everybody must be using drugs because, <laughs> you know, you start looking at things that way because uh, how, do you, how, do you, how do you live this life without it, you know? And it, seriously, just being off drugs, the thought of it gave me, like, severe anxiety and, like, hot like, to the point where it affected me physically, wow. um, just thinking about the future. My roommate in rehab, he, he looked at me that last day because he went around a circle and they said, hey, do you have any concerns for Jake? And looking back at it now, it's wild that he said this. He said, I'm worried about you on on your medication and I knew he was right because I was getting to the point again I was starting to wake up I was starting to see like my error I was starting to see my motives and somewhat starting to get honest about them because because what goes along with this too is that I I learned how to play the victim really well when Mikey died was the first time in a while I was like I don't want anybody feeling sorry for this And, and it wasn't in like a real like weird prideful way I finally felt like playing the victim was wrong you know, and I still had to learn that in other areas of my life, but I finally kind of got a glimpse of it. And uh, I knew I had to get off the drugs. So in November of 2013, I, uh, I checked into the rescue mission. It's wild to see how God works, you know. Um, years ago, growing up, went to the faith house when they were struggling a little bit, um, just with life circumstances and things like that. And, and they referred me to the mission. And uh, I never heard of the place. Again, was pretty scared about it. I went in for the interview on a year anniversary of, of Mikey's death. Wow. And they were full. They had uh, almost full. They had 20, they had 30 beds, 29 or more full. He said, you come in Thursday. And they said, if you don't show up, then the bed's gone. Yeah. And uh, so I showed up. So this was almost 10 years of, yeah. 
you know, falling off a cliff drug use type yeah. stuff. Okay, so you go into the Frederick Rescue Mission, which, um, you know, we talk about all the time and, and people hear about on this podcast, but it's a faith-based organization. And so, um, and they're not subtle about it in like the best kind of way, mm-hmm. right? They tell you not from ashamed. the very start, yeah. this is about Jesus and what he can do in your life. Yep. So what was that like? Because again, you, you believe in God, you had some church experience. Uh-huh. This isn't like an inconsistent church experience with them. Mm-hmm. Because like at the mission, it's... Every day. Every day, yeah. I mean, I mean, I work there now, but that's what we tell guys coming in. Hey, like, you don't have to believe in God to come here. Uh, you can be an atheist. You can uh, Buddha, Hinduism, whatever. Um, you can't necessarily practice it while you're here, but uh, you are going to hear Jesus. Yeah. That is what's going to be preached here, and that's what we believe. Uh, so we ask them if you're okay with that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm reading the policies and procedures and stuff, and I'm looking at some stuff. And what caught me off guard was the, was just kind of the sacrifice, you know, the things that I was going to give up, just some of the freedoms that you would normally have. But faith actually excited me. Again, one of my main reasons for going in was I just need a normal routine. I needed, like, what's that look like? But when they offered a relationship with God, that, that was one of my pulls. A day before I came in. Me and my cousin were sitting out in the car talking just about life and what had transpired. And, and he had actually kicked, give me some tough love. He'd kicked you out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had to kick me out, too. <laughs> yeah. I know we're not saying which family member it is, but also, like, one of the kindest human beings. Like, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he was hurt to see it, you know, and, yeah. and uh, I thank him for it. And I, I sometimes think my family feels bad and, like, they did something, but they did one of the best things they ever could for me. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, as somebody that's making decisions, you gotta you got to reap what you sow. And if you don't, you never learn. Um, so some of that self-love, um, you know, gave me really a lot of insight into what was really going on. Yeah. Like, Jake, what are you doing? I remember him saying, you know, just expressing how he feels bad that he had to go into this program, you know. He wanted me to be well, but again, you just kind of feel bad to see that going on. Kind of offered me a little bit of an out, and I, I for the first time in my life, I, I made a decision for myself. I believe God was calling me there, pulling me there, and I said, uh, I got to go. I said, I don't know what it is, but I got to go here. I, I, it was the first time I realized, too, I said it won't be any different. This out that the, the adversary was put in front of me uh, was just another opportunity to run yeah. what I've already been doing. Yeah. I had to face it, and uh, I did. I got way more than what I was asking for, way more. Yeah. So at what point in the program did faith go from something you have, something you're excited for, to, oh, man, like— I. I need Jesus in the middle of this storm that you're in specifically, but also I need Jesus in the middle of my life. Like when, when did it click for you? When did it go from something that's been there to like, no, absolutely 100%. This is, this is what I need is Jesus. And that's, what's going to help me really get through this. So I remember I, I, I put my faith in Christ. I had to be like a month or two in, it was early on, um, but it wasn't immediate. A new environment, scary meeting new people. So I was in the midst of finding out, hey, you know, Jake Water, what are you going to decide? What are you going to be about? Are you going to do the same old things that you normally do, or or what? So you know, still still some of my my ways, you know, figuring out how to maneuver in this place and 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 things like that. And um, people talking about the Bible, they know a lot of stuff. I mean, it's almost a uh, it could be considered a Bible college. Yeah. <laughs> some of the yes, one hundred percent. You know, you come out of there if you're paying attention and reading your word every day. I mean, you you know a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and they're they're talking, you know, with these B attitudes, and I'm like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> what are B attitudes? And you know, and some of them were just kind of flaunting it, you know, doing their thing and. Finally, uh, he's, you know, God started to break through, and it was a Monday night, um, Monday night chapel. 
we were even invited to close our eyes or something. And, uh, and this wasn't the first time that a group provided this or asked, do you want to put your faith in Christ? And, and, uh, but it was the first time it clicked. I, it was a yes for me. Like that was my answer. Yes. Yes. You are it. It's the realest thing I've ever decided in my life. And what's so wild about it is I didn't really understand much of it yet. (laughs) I just, what I did understand is is that I was sick, that I needed help. I needed a savior. And I said, you know what? I'm going to put my faith in you, you know, and I didn't put strings attached on it. If you do this, if you do that, it was, I believe, I believe you are who you say you are. And I believe you're going to do what you're going to do. And I had to, I kept making that decision every day and my life began to change. You know, when we go through hard times in our life, when there's pain that other people caused, when we make mistakes, but we feel like the consequences are maybe unfair, we lose someone we love, when it's them, not us, like all these things happen, that's enough for people to decide there is no God. I have no, how can I have faith when I've been through all these things? But your story is the opposite. Like yours is just like pure valley and then Jesus. And so talk to me a little bit about how did how did that feel? How did you get to that point? Um, really, why? Like instead of like that. Oh, but I had this really good moment, and I saw God in this really good moment, and then I then I kind of bottomed out, and so that's what made me realize something's better. Like there was nothing better, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden there was. Mm-hmm. What was that like? How did that feel? Why do you think for you, like even though things have been so hard for almost half of your life, the answer to say yes was like, oh yeah, I can do this. So, like, how, how did the bottoming out lead to faith? So, I'm definitely a believer in, I don't want to say I don't believe in rock bottom. If I say that, what I mean is, is that you don't just change because of rock bottom. I think we all have rock bottoms in my life. I mean, I just talked about a bunch of them. There should have been plenty sure. of evidence to yeah. me that something's got to change. Yeah. And it didn't for a while. I just kept doing the same old stuff. But rock bottom is, a, is an opportunity for, is a catalyst for change. You know, the, the invitation to freedom and not being in bondage anymore, what was so, what was, I think was so, um, you know, inviting to me. So, so the, the process of that though, like I had lied for so long that it got to a point that when I began to get honest and take responsibility, that was refreshing for me. You know, um, it was refreshing to put myself out there and know that I'm still worthy. And I continued on a daily basis with Jesus learning that that's, that was the truth. And I had a place, the mission, that allowed me to do that every day in a safe place. You know, that my worth wasn't tied in all these things that I was trying to fill it with. Um, Christ was meeting me there, you know, showing me on a daily basis. A lot of times it hurt. It hurt. There are some things he had to break me <laughs> later on in my story of um, saying, hey, this is getting in the way still but that my identity and my worth was completely in him. Yeah. So it clicks, you're two months in just about, mm-hmm. but the mission is a year long program. Mm-hmm. You know, coming up on graduation, I, um, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And then I figured I was just going to go get a job, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, still it's live out my faith, yeah. you know, yeah. still living out my faith. But, um, but again, God had other plans for me, man. Um, so transition came into play. Somebody was going to intern ahead of me that was graduating, or before that was going to intern, he graduated with me, and he backed out. And they were like, hey, Jake, do you want to intern? And I was like, yeah, yeah, actually I do. I do want to hang around here. I do, I do want to continue to take my time. I do want to continue to focus what's, what's most important. I just began this relationship with God. Like, I need to focus on that. 
And uh, so I interned for the next year. Yeah, women were not in the picture. The most important relationship that was in my life was was God at that moment. And uh, uh, for me, knowing my, you know, you know, I just knew I'd identify where weaknesses were and yeah. and things like that, and and where temptations could come, and you know, com- and take me away from my relationship with God and identify women as one of those things. So I turned that off. We always tell guys, man, it's it's never drugs is the first thing that take yeah. guys out. Yeah. We always ask them. They usually think it is. And we'll ask anybody, and they think it is. It's not. It's it's for a guy. It's usually women. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times we will look for our identity and our worth. Yeah in a relationship with a woman. So, yeah. And so much of that is like the self worth. Mm-hmm. It's the, I want to feel important. I want to feel loved. Really. The irony is it's the same thing that gets you to the point of, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm numbing myself. I'm making decisions. Cause it's like what you want in your life. And really it's the, it's the self worth. And then we try to cram all these things into the self-worth bucket and it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. And so even coming out of the mission, the first thing we look for is self-worth. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, I can't shove drugs into that bucket or alcohol in that bucket. But it's like, what about that person? What about that job? You know. And so what's, what's interesting in that is like this, the pain and that, that void that you have, like honestly, and, and this is like super depressing for anybody listening, it never goes away. No, you have to allow. You have to continue to allow Jesus, you know Jesus to fill that hole. Yeah. I mean, he, he asks us to die daily. I mean, he doesn't say that for no reason. It's yeah. we have a choice every day uh, to take our own will back or continue to follow His. Yeah. So, any all of us are one decision away from. Uh, we just talk about drifting or a slow fade of continuing to you know either continuing to put our faith in Him every day or putting our trust in ourselves. So, I identified for me like, hey, like if I go and look for a relationship with a woman right now. I could misplace my identity. Sure. I could, I could, I could start to fill that void with the wrong thing, and I can't have those distractions. Yeah. So yeah, meeting Danielle, uh, we went to a uh, concert, um, Jiff Lube Live, Nissan Pavilion. I can't remember what it's called now. It's changed names. It and, was it? A, it was a country concert, wasn't it? No, it was Outcry. It was a Christian concert. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it was me and a, a bunch of buddies yeah. that graduated. Um, her, her, and her mom were sitting behind us. She was still at school in Liberty, and. Uh, Again, I'm, you know, I still have moments of shyness. I, I didn't even end up talking to them. They, she just, her mom was like, look at this interesting group and uh, of guys, which it was. I mean, we were all ages, uh, all different walks of life, and, uh, you know, and God had brought us together. And um, so she introduced herself, and we found out they were from Frederick, you know, or Jefferson, Frederick, and they knew about the mission, and that was about it. We went our separate ways. Um, and then uh, Danielle needed to do an internship the following year. Yeah, like I said, her senior year of college, and she had tried a few things, applied for like three or four places before the mission, and nothing was working out. And her mom was like, hey, why don't you go try the mission? And apparently, from what I'm told, she was also like, maybe that guy's there. And uh, That guy. So she applies for the mission and, and gets the internship, and yeah, we run into each other. We're friends after that for maybe another year, and again, I'm still, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to entertain maybe a relationship with a girl. And about a, almost a year later after, you know, her coming to intern, she, she asked me out on a date for coffee. And I was like, all right, sure, why not? Yeah, it's a big step. Yeah, it was pretty scary. Ready. Yeah, I felt like at that point it had been like two, yeah. two three years. And yeah, and you're on staff at the mission at this point? On staff at the mission. I was on staff when she was interning and stuff. And um, so still working there. Uh, yeah, so I, I'd intern. And then after that year case manager position opened up and there was a director at the time that saw something in me and was like hey man we we could get so much more out of this guy what are we doing with him that's what he told me he was like do you want to be the case manager and i was like well that sounds scary but yeah yeah let's do it 
So yeah, I've been working there ever since yeah. as the case manager. It's unreal, man. It's pretty wild. We're going to pause here. Jake, thanks for so, uh, so much for sharing the beginning part of your story. You know, it's never easy to, to be vulnerable, especially when um, you, know, you and I have talked about how the recovery community and the addiction, addiction community is um, kind of looked at with this, this really bad filter and this bad lens of, honestly, I think it comes from a place of judgment because we all struggle in some way with some sort of addiction, some sort of, you know, whatever, but it's like, I'm going to push you over there. Yeah. It's like, that's you. That's not me. I'm not there when really like we're close or yeah. we're there. Yeah. And, um, so to be vulnerable, much closer this, than we think. Oh, always. Yeah. And so for you to be vulnerable about this, it's a, it means a lot and we appreciate that. And, um, we look forward to hearing part two next week. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.